We thank you so much for your word, Lord, even though, yes, it is uh, the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the, the Ephesians, but Lord, your Holy Spirit was so actively involved that whatever, everything that Paul wrote down is exactly what you want, wanted them to hear, and, and by extension, you want us to hear. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would open up our ears and our hearts to receive your word this morning. This is a, a pretty heavy uh, section of scripture, Lord. I know I felt the weight this week um, because uh, it, it is uh, these are uh, issues that uh, the church struggles with, and uh, so I, I pray for grace. I pray for um, focus. I pray that, that, that I would not get beyond Your Word; that I would uh, proclaim it uh, uh, simply and accurately. And Lord, um, that w we wouldn't be distracted. By anything, Lord, by a flutter of of the the, the speakers, Lord, uh, to uh, a kid, a little a little child laughing in the wiggle room, Lord, that we would be focused on Your Word, and uh, it's all for Your glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five, New Testament. It's an amazing letter. It's not that long. You could easily read it in less than a half hour, all the way straight through. Uh, but we've been uh, taking our time going through it. It has a lot of amazing truth, and so we're kind of breaking it up, breaking it up into bite-sized pieces so that we can really uh, enjoy this amazing truth. So uh, we are in Ephesians chapter 5. The focus of our passage this morning is going to be on verses 3 through 14, but I would actually like to start at verse 1. So verse 1 of chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. Here we go. Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God. The word therefore is reaching back to a conversation that Paul begins in chapter 4. Really, chapter 4 serves as, as a transition of the entire letter. He's transitioning the, uh, from uh, chapters 1 and 3. Paul is bringing up a lot of doctrinal instruction, particularly the believer's identity in Christ. Chapter 4, he transitions. Now, after he's given the instruction, now he's going on to the application. What does it look like? How does it look like for someone who is in Christ to live their life? And he begins in chapter 4, verse 1, by saying, walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Again, that word worthy doesn't mean walk in a worthy way or earn your, your, your calling. What he's saying, walk in a way that's fitting, that's appropriate to who you already are. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you pl place your faith in Jesus, you are in Christ. So just live it out. And what this looks like as he develops it, starting on from chapter 4, it looks like unity, it looks like humility, it looks like patience, it looks like tolerance, showing, you know, a grace with one another, bearing with one another. We all come from different backgrounds, and just like any crazy family, you sometimes have those crazy uncles and aunts. Well, guess what? You got some of those crazy uncles and aunts here, too. So we're being patient and gracious with one another, loving one another, uh, not uh, you know, casting off vices, putting on virtues, uh, not being hypocritical, not just simply speaking truth, but living truth, loving one another, gracious to one another, tenderhearted one another, and forgiving one another, ultimately culminating uh, to verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God. The word imitator is where we get the word mimic. 
We are to mimic God. We are to follow in his pattern as God is patient with us. We are to follow in that pattern and be patient with one another. As God is gracious and forgiving with us, we are to be gracious and forgiving with each other. Now, some would argue that everything that Paul brings up, all these lists of virtues and behaviors are are no different from other religions. You know, the idea of being truthful, honest, loving, gracious, gentle with one another, forgiving one. Those are all virtues that, you know, other religions spout off. And I would agree that there are a number of religions that would echo Paul's words. And so the question comes, what's the difference? What's the difference between Christianity and other religions? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because if you keep on reading, Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. The word beloved just means dearly loved. Now notice how Paul puts this. He doesn't say be imitators of God so that you can become beloved children. He doesn't put that. Nor does he say uh, be imitators of God so you can receive the status and the, 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 the position of a child, a beloved child. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Be imitators of God as beloved children. In other words, if you are in Christ, you're already dearly loved. You're already dearly loved. You've received the Holy Spirit. You're united in Christ. And you've received the Holy Spirit. And then the blessings that result in that relationship. It's who you are. You're part of God's household. And so you're his dearly loved child. So guess what? Now you could imitate your heavenly father. You're already a child. Just live it out. That's the difference between other religions and the gospel. See, other religions are always focusing on what you achieve. You need to do this in order to get this. You need to live this way in order to, you know, receive the status, this, you know, spiritual status, or to get closer to the cosmic being that you worship. You know, the gospel is not about achieving. It's about receiving Something that has already been achieved for us by Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Jesus came. He lived. He, he lived a perfect life. Some of us will never be able to live a perfect life. He lived that perfect life. He, he beautifully represented. He beautifully came as a representative of all humanity. Perfect representative of all humanity. And he willingly laid down his life and he died for our sins. Taking on the punishment that our sin rightfully deserves. So if anyone puts their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they receive salvation, the forgiveness of sins. Again, the Holy Spirit, it's amazing. That's the difference. If you're a follower of Christ, you're in Christ, you're a saint, you're holy, you're a child, you're dearly loved. So live it out. Live it out. We don't, we don't live our lives... From uh, to uh, to obtain our identity, we live our lives from our identity. So it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Verse two, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved us. The word he uses for love is agape. It's a it's love that has feet to it. It's love that has action. It's a sacrificial devotion. That's the kind of love that Christ shared uh, with us. And we are to live in that same pattern. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And that leads us to our passage this morning, uh, verses 3 through 14. Now, 
Um, I have the, uh, the, 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 the outline up on, on the screen. Some of you have received a printed outline. You'll notice uh, that I've made some corrections and some dis uh, changes here. And that's because, you know, the outlines are not meant to be in solid rock. I'm still learning and, and studying the passage all the way up until the beginning of the service. Just really wanting to make sure that I'm being uh, 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 faithful uh, in delivering God's word to you. So you'll notice some differences. So we're going to be looking at verses 3 to 14, but before we start reading through it, I'd like to kind of get ourselves uh, prepared by reading a testimony to you. This is a testimony about, from a, about a, a young lady named Susan. Susan described herself as someone who used to be a creature of the night. Daytime were, was for sleeping, getting drunk, high. Nighttime was for working, working, selling drugs, stolen goods, and sometimes even herself. It was a time for partying with so-called friends and frequent fights that often left someone going to the hospital or jail. She started attending church after encouragement from her neighbor who also led a ministry geared toward helping people out of the lifestyle that Susan had embraced for over 15 years. She eventually turned her life over to Jesus. As she shared her testimony, she exclaimed, Because of Jesus, my life has completely changed. Literally from night to day. I used to live in the night. Darkness was my friend to hide all the shameful things I did. Now I prefer the day. I have nothing in my life to be ashamed of because Christ has forgiven me and has made me new. In the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, Paul is going to describe our new identity in Christ as light. That we are light, not in and of ourselves because of our connection with Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Well, we're in Christ. Christ is in us, so now we are light. And, and Paul gives the command. Uh, it's kind of like the main command that kind of glues this passage together uh, at the end of verse 8 when he says, walk as children of light. Now, this whole imagery of light and darkness, you can find all over the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, and it's not just simply f focusing in on the physical light and the physical darkness. It kind of represents other things. You see, find it in Psalms and Job and Isaiah, where light is like the domain where God dwells. You know, God dwells in light. The, the Apostle John says, God is light and in him there is no darkness. He is light. And, and then light refers to life. Light refers to truth. Light refers to holiness and righteousness and, and goodness. Darkness, on the other hand, is the, is the exact opposite. It's not the domain of God. It's the domain of Satan and demons. It, it doesn't mean life, it means death. It doesn't mean uh, truth, it means lies and deceit. It doesn't mean holiness and righteousness, it's wickedness and sin. So there's a difference between light and dark. And, and before we were in Christ, uh, Paul says, you, you, you were not just in darkness. He's going to say, you were darkness. You were darkness. But now, if you are in Christ, you're in light. So the command is, walk is light. So that's what we're going to be focusing in on. Um, but before Paul gets to that, he's going to give us a list of things that are appropriate and not appropriate uh, for uh, those who are followers of Christ. And uh, these lists, Paul's a, a big 
big, he loved love lists. You read a lot of his letters. He brings list after list after list. Um, these lists are not meant to be exhaustive, but they're, in, they're in, enough to get us, give us an idea of what Paul's trying to say. And so the first thing he's going to bring up is what is three things that are not uh, appropriate for the life of a believer. Beginning of verse three, he says, but immorality or any impurity or literally all impurity or greed must not even be named among you, must not be assigned, entitled, made mention among you as is proper among the saints, as is right, as is suitable among the saints. These things, these behaviors are not, they don't make sense to be a part if you're a follower of Jesus. Let's look at these words uh, individually. Uh, the word immorality. This is the Greek word porneia. This is actually where we get the word pornography. It's a kind of a junk drawer term that refers to sexual immorality. That's what it means. And it, include, it, can, it could include fornication, which is sex outside of marriage. It can include adultery. It can include uh, prostitution. It could include transgender. It could include homosexuality, and et cetera. Anything really that's against God's design. Because contrary to a, a number of maybe prudish uh, Christians who exist out there, God actually designed sex. He created sex. Can I actually say that? Yes, I can. Yes. He designed it. He, he, and he gave it to humanity as a gift to be enjoyed. But the thing is, it can only be enjoyed within its proper context. And that is within the covenant marriage uh, between one man and one woman. That's the way God designed it. It's not a suggestion. That's the way God said. That's the only way sex can be expressed and enjoyed. Everything else is, is porneia. It's sexual immorality. Or another word that he, uh, Paul uses, he says impurity. This is the idea of in uncleanliness, lewdness. The, the third uh, word here is greed, or sometimes could be translated as covetousness. And we, when we think of greed, sometimes our minds automatically go towards money. You know, greedy for more money. But the, the word itself just means a, a desire for more. Or, uh, uh, you know, more for me at any cost. It's, it's all focused on the self, driven by self, immorality, impurity, greed, desire for more. Uh, the first century church had issues with this. Sexual immorality wasn't just something hidden behind closed doors, like, oh, hush, hush, wink, wink, we don't talk about it in the streets. No, it was publicly displayed, it was readily available, readily accepted, and also encouraged. Many of the, the, the temples where people would go to worship had temple prostitutes and they would engage in sexual immorality. I mean, it was just all over. It's what you did. It wasn't anything shocking about it. You know, partners swapping partners, doing things and whatever. It's just, it's what you did. It's, it was a normal thing. And so now Paul's writing a letter to a bunch of Christians who used to live in this, this, this environment, still live in this environment, and are tempted to return back to that lifestyle. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that must not even be named among you. I like how one translation of the Bible puts it. He says, it, it should not, you should not even have a hint of this among you. Because it's not suitable. It's not right. But it, that, that, that was the world. 
at that day. Uh, Ephesus uh, is one of the largest archaeological uh, digs in, in the world right now, at least the ones that we have access to. And uh, some uh, fascinating, one, a couple of archaeologists discovered, I believe it was in the, the, the library of Ephesus, a beautiful structure, huge structure. They discovered a passageway leading out of the, the library to a pagan temple where it was known to have pre, uh, temple prostitutes. So it's almost like, honey, I'm going to the library to read a book. It's like, that again, that just shows you idea. That, that was their life. That's what they lived in. And Paul's like, that, doesn't, that has no place in your, in, among you. You're in, you're in Christ. He's going to again talk about you are light. That is darkness. Don't, don't even have a hint of that among you. Our society is no different. If anyone else would argue that point, say, no, no, we're a lot better off. You're guilty of what... Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, described as chronological snobbery. It's the idea that, oh, you know, we have much more advances in education and technology, and we're way more sophisticated than they were back then. No, we're not. We're exactly. I mean, sexual immorality is not something kept in secret. It's not hush, hush, wink, wink. No, no, no. It's publicly displayed everywhere. It's readily available, readily accepted, and guess what? Encouraged as well. It's encouraged as, well, education. It's for educational purposes. It's encouraged of, you know, my body, my choice. You only live once. Do what feels, you know, you do you. You live your truth. You express yourself however you want to express yourself. If it feels good, do it. That's our society that we live in. I mean, our world is just saturated in sexual immorality. Give you an example. A couple of years ago, at the height of the, when the pandemic was starting, and in Italy, they got hit pretty hard, and they were on like full lockdown. Well, a couple of uh, internet, um, adult internet companies provided free subscriptions to those who were locked down to Italy because, you know, they need something to get them through what they're going through. And what they ended up doing everywhere else is offer discounted rates to their yearly subscriptions. And they made a note that their subscriptions quadrupled just in that one year, just a couple of months. It's just rampant. And unfortunately, it does affect the church, people in the church. There was a, a study that was done a number of years ago where they um, interviewed a number of churches, thousands of individuals who said that they follow Christ. And 60% of those who responded to that survey admitted to struggling with sexual morality, particularly pornography. 60%. 40% of that 60% were individuals who were actively involved in church, going to Bible studies, community group, life groups, leading Bible studies. Some of them were even pastors. 40% of that 60%. Paul's like, that has no place among you. Don't even dip your toe. You know, there's that idea, well, how far is too far? Where's that line? So I can just get right up to it without crossing it. I mean, Paul's like, don't even, don't even play with that. It's not proper. It's not fitting. Now, we have to understand this, and Paul's going to get into it uh, in, in chapter 6, um, that the real enemy, when we talk about sexuality in this, in, uh, sexual immorality uh, in, in our world today, um, the real enemy is not 
are not the, the, the studios and the directors and the producers and the technicians who are generating this stuff. They're not the ultimate enemy. Paul brings up that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's a spiritual battle that we are a part of. When we think, when we look at the, the state of where we are in the world, in our country in particular, in regards to sexual morality, this is satanically driven. It's all satanic. It's demonically inspired. That's what's going on. And, and, and here's the thing with the enemy. They're really good at what they do. They had many years to perfect their strategy at trying to get us to slip up. I mean, when, when my wife and I first moved uh, here in the Pine, well, our whole family moved here in the Pine, um, you, we came from Southern California. You don't really see a lot of deer any, there. So when we saw deer, whether it was one deer or two or even a herd, look, the deer! And we'd slow down the car. Sometimes we'd pull over. We'd unroll it, take the pictures. Meanwhile, everyone's going like, what in the world are they doing? Like, the deer! The deer! Why? Because we've never seen it before. But everyone else is like, well, we see that all the time. It's no big deal. Well, now we've been here for five and a half years now, and now we see deer, we're like, oh, yeah, deer. <laughs> it's, it's just what you see all the time. That's the strategy that the enemy uses in regarding sexual morality. Pump a society so much full of this junk, so much so that people become numb to it. It's just normal. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and it's accepted. And that's what, what, you, what we're, we're finding out. Paul's like, no, 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 no. I'll bring it even more closer to home. A couple of weeks ago, I came across a poster um, promoting an event that was going to be happening here in Lapine. It was hosted by one of the clubs here in Lapine, and it was going to be a burlesque show. I don't know if that went, ha happened. I don't know if, if they canceled it. I don't know anything. I just saw the poster, and I was like, a burlesque show? And right at the bottom, it says, not intended for younger audiences because of the content and the nudity. I'm going, okay, burlesque, burlesque. And it's, it, the intention was to make it look like the old 1800s, something that the old loggers would watch, you know? And so some people would say, oh, come on. It's just a burlesque show. It's really not that. Maybe it's a little risque, but it's, I mean, there's way more raunchier stuff out in Bend. It's like, I don't care if I see a, 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 a piece of dog poop on the grass, you could sprinkle uh, you know, powdered sugar on it. A turd is a turd, no matter what. S sexual immorality is sexual immorality. I hate to be vulgar. I'm sorry if that offended you. But it's, the, it's truth. It's sexual immorality. It's sin is sin. But what, what really shocked me, what really just like got under my skin, was the way this poster was designed. It had like beautiful colors, you know, bright colors, festive colors, and the fonts. It looked exactly like a poster I would see uh, promoting Frontier Days. It was like, come to the burlesque show. It's just the right amount of wrong, you know, without going too far. It's a fun evening for the adults. You see where our society's at? It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. Paul's like, that must not be named among you. I know, I know I'm spending a lot of time on this, but it's a, it's a huge issue. It's a huge issue. And, and if, if Paul was dealing with Christians who were struggling with this, this temptation, 
I look in the room and I don't know where your guys' lives are. Some of you may be struggling with this issue as well. So let me give you an imagery that was given to me by an old mentor of mine. Whenever you feel tempted to engage in any kind of sexual immorality, think of yourself going, you know, being hired by your neighbor to like pull the weeds out of their garden or whatever. It's a 115 degree weather, dry, just ugly. And you're out there, you're sweating, you're working hard because some of these, you know, weeds all over the place, you're tired. And then the neighbor comes up and says, hey, would you like a drink of water? Oh, okay, I'll go go inside. They get a glass. You're like, oh oh, man, I could really use a glass of water right now. They go in the freezer, put a whole bunch of ice in there. Oh yes, hallelujah, I need that ice. Instead of walking to the sink, they walk over to the bathroom. They dip, dip the cup right into the toilet. And they say, okay, here you go. Would you drink that? No. But here's the thing. It's in a nice clear glass. You're tired. Your, your mouth is parched. You want something. And man, that cup looks really nice. The ice, it's sparkling. It's making even the condensation appear on the cup. So you know the water's cold. And oh, that's going to be, it looks like it's going to be refreshing and good. But reality, it's just a cup of toilet water. Would you drink that? So as a way to help you when it comes to any temptation, if you're struggling with that temptation into sexual morality, pornography, whatever it is, don't think of it as something that's going to satisfy. Think of it as just a, cla- a tall glass of toilet water. And God's like, that, that's not going to help you. That's going to hurt you. Don't get near it. Don't play around with it. Don't dip your toe in it. Should not be named among you. It's not proper among the saints. Now, moving forward in verse 4, he lists three more things. Verse 4, and there must be no filthiness. This idea of indecent behavior, behavior that you would, uh, like if, behavior you would be shame, uh, that is shameful. Like if you're living your life in such a way that you would be embarrassed if I found out or someone next to you found out, then maybe you really need to rethink what you're doing. Paul would say that that's filthiness. He says, and silly talk and coarse jesting, which is, which are not fitting, this word that he uses for fitting is uh, what the, the, the Stoic philosophers of Paul's day would use to describe something that is consistent. And basically Paul's saying that this thing, filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, this is not consistent. This kind of behavior is not consistent for someone who says they follow Jesus. Don't do it. Now, silly talk and coarse jesting, some people think, well, does that mean, you know, we're not supposed to be silly once in a while and, and laugh at a joke here and there. And I don't think that's what Paul's getting. I mean, I read one uh, theological argue, uh, article this uh, past week, and that was what the guy was saying. It was like, we're not, we'll just be you know, serious, and Christians should never laugh or have fun. We're in a battle. And I agree that we're in a spiritual battle. I agree that there's a balance there. But uh, Proverbs 17 says, gladness of the heart is good medicine. And Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon says that there's a season for everything. And sometimes it's appropriate to laugh. But sometimes that could be taken too far. Sometimes that can be taken too far. And sometimes silly conversation can become foolish conversation. Sometimes a a, a simple joke. Or here this word jesting uh, literally means able to turn easily. It's the idea of able to turn a phrase, being really quick, being quick-witted. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with being fast on your feet, but you can take it a little bit too far. And it could become inappropriate. He says, and that, and that is, is not fitting. It does, it does it, it's not consistent with someone who is of the light. It's not consistent of those, someone who is a dearly loved child of God, someone who's in Christ. It's not consistent. Now he, he lists what is appropriate. What is appropriate for the life of a, of a Christian. He says, but rather, at the end of verse 4, but rather... So strong contrast compared to what all these bad behaviors, but rather giving of thanks, or it could be translated thanksgiving. Developing an attitude of gratitude, developing a, a heart of thankfulness, because I don't know about you, it's really hard for me to sin or be tempted to sin when I'm thanking God. It just is. Like even attempted into like, sexual immorality. It's like, how can I do that when I'm praising my Lord and my Savior? You know, how can I go into crude joking, crude, foolish talk with, with the same mouth I'm praising my King of Kings? So Paul says, don't do any of these things. Put them off. They're not, they're not appropriate. They're not right. They're not suitable. They're not consistent. Instead, replace it with thanksgiving. And then he gives, in verse 5, a really, a, a really strong warning for those living in this inappropriate lifestyle. He says, for this, verse 5, for this you know with certainty. That's an interesting phrase in the Greek. It's actually, there's, there's two words used there. Uh, both of them could be translated to know or knowledge. One of the Greek words is oida, which refers to kind of a cognitive, uh, academic kind of knowledge. The other uh, word is gnosko, which is a personal knowledge, a well-acquainted, experiential kind of knowledge. And the way Paul is using uh, this phrase, he's basically saying, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt and continue to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that no immoral individual, someone who's engaged in sexual immorality, no impure person, that word impure could sometimes is in the Bible is sometimes referenced to demons like unclean spirits. So it's a person who's living in an unclean life or covetous man who is an idolater. They're replacing uh, their devotion and worship of God with something else has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, Paul is writing this letter to a church, to a group of men and women who say they follow Jesus Christ. But Paul, in his wisdom, through the power of the Holy Spirit, recognizes that though there may be individuals in this church that profess that they follow Christ, some of them actually don't possess Christ. That just because they fit a pew or in a seat on a Sunday morning gathering uh, or go to a Bible study doesn't mean that they're actually part of the church. Because notice what Paul's saying here. He's not saying, uh, he's not mentioning individuals who struggle with these sins. Because Paul's clear that, that we, we, there's a struggle that we deal with. As, even as Christians, it's a struggle of the flesh. Walking in the flesh. That's what Paul called it. It's this pull towards a unrighteousness towards sin and all Christians are going to deal with that until we're finally in glory and the flesh is really strong but guess what we have something even stronger we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us and we have God's word to instruct us and teach us and so it is a struggle that can actually be defeated but Paul's not talking about individuals who are struggling he's talking about individuals who could be identified as immoral individuals who could be identified as impure 
as covetous, as an idolater. They are identified in sin because these individuals still have a sin nature. They're not truly saved. But the, 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 the scary part, they may not even know it. That's a strong warning. You may say you're, you're Christ. Oh, yay, I, I go to church. I, hallelujah. But your lifestyle doesn't match. Now, you have to make sure, remember, your works don't earn your salvation, but they're definitely the evidence of your salvation. Paul talks about, look, it's like the fruit. It's the byproduct of your, because you know, when, we're, when we're in Christ, Paul says we're a new creation, and as a new creation, we've been given a new heart, uh, a new life, a transformed life. We, don't, we no longer desire to live in unrighteousness and sin. We struggle with it, but we don't desire to live in it. And so th- this, this is a, a strong warning. If, if, if you are identified as an idolater, an impure person, a covetous man, an idolater, you know, and that's not even a, comprehensive list it's just enough list just to give you an idea what's going on you may say you're a christian but you're really not you still have a sin nature you're still dead in your trespasses and sin and as a result you have paul says no inheritance in the kingdom of christ and god it's a very interesting way that paul describes that the kingdom of Christ and God, it's almost as if he's bringing up the, 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 the present and future realities of the kingdom. It's like if you are living this way, if you, you are, you're still in your sinful nature, you're not in Christ, then you do not experience the present reality of the kingdom through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of the sins and the Holy Spirit, nor are you going to experience uh, the, the eternal kingdom when God sets it up on a renewed earth. You have no inheritance. It's a really, again, really strong warning. It reminds me of a a time during Jesus' earthly ministry when he's, I think it's in the Gospel of of John. Could be wrong. I'm forgetting uh, the passage. But Jesus is is kind of telling a story. He says, you know, many people are going to come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not follow you? Did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we work amazing miracles in your name? And Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. It's like we were prophesying. We were working miracles. People would have looked at us and said, man, that's the kind of Christian I want to be. And Jesus is like, you're not one of mine. Again, look at the lifestyle. Where are you? Are you living in this? Do you simply struggle with it, but you don't desire for it? Well, then you're saved. And guess what? You could put those sins to death. But if you're living in this, you have no inheritance. It's, a, again, a very serious warning to those in the church who are not a part of the church. And it's a very sobering reminder for us because this is who we used to be. Those who are in Christ, this is who we used to be. We used to not have an inheritance, have no part. You know, earlier on in the the letter to the Ephesians, Paul says that we, before Christ, we were far away from God. But because of Christ, we have now been brought near. You know, it's just, again, an incredible uh, warning and reminder. 
Next, uh, Paul is, is uh, going to give a, a kind of another warning here in verse 6 where he's going to say, watch out for those who justify this kind of sinful behavior. Let's look at uh, verse 6. He says, let no one deceive you. Let no one woo you, seduce you into error. Uh, let no one deceive you with empty words. This is words that are fruitless, that will not help you. They will harm you. For because of these things, these, these sinful behaviors... This unrighteousness, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience or the sons of open rebellion. Now, Paul makes this argument in Romans chapter 1, saying that God's anger towards sin is, is displayed even now towards the ungodly, those who are practicing unrighteousness, and they deal with the consequences of their sins. But ultimately, God is going to judge that sin. So, in other words, God doesn't give any license for sin in his church. He doesn't support sin, he doesn't encourage it, and he doesn't want anyone else to encourage it. So if anyone's saying, oh yeah, you know, you can, just a little bit, it's really not that bad. He says, don't listen to them. Don't, don't be deceived. And this is, this is something um, that Paul dealt with with another church. Go, 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 keep your finger in Ephesians, but go with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So keep your finger in Ephesians, but we'll go back to it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here, the church was dealing with sexual immorality. And Paul's like, no, 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 that's, that's, that's not right. And, and, and most likely there were teachers, false teachers, giving license for this, this kind of behavior. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to begin at verse 12. Here, Paul recites what we believe to be kind of the uh, mantra or a phrase that the church in Corinth would have uh, recited and probably the surrounding areas would have recited. Uh, verse 12, Paul says, all things are lawful for me. All things are, you know, uh, permissible. We have freedom. And the te teaching probably went like, you know, uh, you can live your life however you want. You already have your fire insurance. Doesn't matter what you do. You know, as, as long as you're, you know, you're, you're, you've, you're not going to the bad place, you know, you've accepted Jesus into your heart. As long as that's happened, you're good. So you're free, Paul's response. But not all things are profitable. Not all things are beneficial. Not all things are going to be good for the life of a believer. He repeats the phrase again, all things are lawful for me. We have freedom, Paul's response, but I will not be mastered by anything. See, that's what sin does. Christ wants us to live a free life, a life of freedom. Sin wants to put us back into slavery. Verse 13, Paul recites probably another phrase that they were familiar with. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. In other words, if I am thirsty, I'm going to drink. If I'm hungry, I'm going to eat. If I have a scratch, I'm going to scratch. If I have lusts, if I have cravings, if I have desires, I'm going to satisfy. Because that's what I do. I'm just a human animal. I'm just responding as a human animal. Paul's response. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Meaning God doesn't just care about the spiritual side of your life. He cares about your physical side of your life. Because your physical side and your spiritual side, that's what makes you who you are. And God cares about all of you. 
So what you do with your, your life, how you live your life is extremely important. It can help you. It can harm you. And God's desire is that true Christians, true believers would mature, grow in their faith. So watch out for those who justify sinful behaviors. And now you're going to move into another section, verses 7 through 10, where he's going to stri- bring up this idea of light, what it means to be people of light. Verse 7, therefore, in light of what we've just talked about, Paul's saying, do not be partakers with them. The word partakers means to be a co-participant, a joint partner. Do not participate in their sinful behavior. Why? Verse 8. For you were formerly darkness. You used to continually exist. Prior to Christ. You used to continually exist. As darkness. Not just in darkness. As darkness. But now. You are light. Not this light doesn't originate from ourselves. Look what it says. Light in the Lord. The reason why we are light is because of our connection with Jesus who is the light. Because we are now light. It's who we are. It's our identity in Christ. Here's the command. Walk as children of light. Live your life as children of light. And in verse 9 he's going to give the fruits of this new identity. The fruit of this identity. Uh, Verse 9. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness. This idea of virtue, moral excellence, and righteousness. Not not just a, a, a standing before God as righteous, declared righteous, but also righteous living. The fruit of the, of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Not hypocritical truth, but truth that is not just, uh, you know, not just word truth, but actions, living in truth. So our new identity in Christ is light. The fruit of this identity is goodness, righteousness, and truth. And now he's going to move on to the means of this identity. How does, how does this look? How is this played out? Verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. That's how you walk as a child of light. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. This word for trying to learn is a word that means to put to the test, to examine, to judge, to be genuine. In other words, this is a a believer who is intentional in their walk. They're not just letting things happen and, oh, well, whatever happens, happens, just kind of loosey-goosey. They are intentional about everything they do, everything they say, everything that they allow in their eyes and in their ears and in their heart. If I say this, they they put it to the test. If I say this, does it line up with Scripture? Is it going to be good? If I behave this way, is it going to be glorifying to God? If I spend my money this way, and so on and so forth. Living a life of intentionality. Trying to please. That's what it looks like to walk as children of the light. Then he moves on to verses 11 to 13. Where he brings up the idea of exposing sin in the church. Now, some scholars will take verses 11 through 13 and uh, interpret it as, you know, the church's response to sinners outside the church. 
And yeah, I guess you could, you could make that argument if you want. But for me personally, I can stand on the side. This is just me out of my personal study. Where I stand on this position is not so much uh, uh, the, the church's response to sinners outside the church. It's actually the church's response to sin inside the church. Because that's the context here. Paul is writing to the church. This whole section, even starting in, verse, starting in chapter 4, has been all sur- surrounded in the context of a community of, of, of people who profess Christ. And so this is, this is what is to happen in the church. This is the focus point. And so Paul says in, in verse 11, do not participate in the fruitful, unfruitful deeds of darkness. The word that he uses for participate is do not be connected with it. Do not be associated. Do not have fellowship with these unfruitful deeds, these unrightful deeds, un, unrighteous deeds of darkness. Don't associate with it. Don't have fellowship with it. Instead, what are we to do? He says, but instead, even expose them. Now, I think that's a great translation because it fits really well with this idea that you are light. If you are truly in Christ, you are light. So walk as a child of, of light. And so we're not called to just let darkness happen. We're supposed to turn on the light in the church. We're supposed to expose. But the word expose literally means to tell fault, to reveal fault, to reveal guilt, to rebuke, to convict. That's what the church is supposed to do. If, if sin is in the church, just as God does not allow sin and doesn't give license for sin or encourage sin in the church. We as a church shouldn't allow it or give it license in the church. We need to address it. We need to address it. We need to expose it. Verse 12, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. It's like, it's, it's not fitting. It's, it's, it's just this kind of luck. You're a new creation. You're wallowing in your own muck, just like a pig wallows in its own muck. It's just, it's not becoming of you. You are in Christ. You are a saint. You are holy. You've been declared holy and righteous. You are a child of light. It's disgraceful. Verse 13, but all things become visible. All things are revealed when they are exposed by the light for everything that becomes visible is light. Again, this is uh, the, the church's response for sin in the church. We're not to just let it happen. Turn the, you know, turn, okay, we just pretend we didn't see that. You know, give license for sin to continue on in the church. We are to address it. Now, this doesn't give us license to just go hairy carry on people and like, you sinners and blah, smack, 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 smack. You know, no, not like that. Because in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, you who are growing and maturing in your faith, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. The word he uses for restore is, a, is a, a, a Greek word that's used for medicine to literally reset a bone. If you've ever broken a bone and a doctor has reset the bone, does that hurt? Oh, yes, it does. Whenever you confront sin, especially within the church, you confront someone who is in sin. And again, I need to stress, this is legitimate sin. This is real immorality. 
sinful behaviors. And I, I stress that because a lot of conflicts that arise within the church, uh, a lot of them have to do with personality issues, have to do with preferences. And, you know, we're all different people and all that. And, and so there's a conflict. And sometimes it's like, well, you're sinning. Well, actually, no, you just have difference in perspective and opinions. And we're supposed to have, be gracious and tolerant and, and, and forbearing with one another. But when it comes to legitimate sin, that's what we're supposed to address. We're supposed to address that. And when you address it, yeah, it's going to hurt. But how you address it can determine, is it going to really hurt? Or is it just going to be a a sting that's going to help them? Paul says, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Now, I've been a part of a number of churches, and I've encountered individuals who I would call the moral police. These are individuals who do nothing but look for everything that's wrong with people. And the thing is, their perception isn't always off base. They actually sometimes legitimately see sin. And their desire is to confront the sin. Okay, that's fine. But that's all they do. They don't take the time uh, to to get to know the person, to develop a a relationship with the person. They, They fail to understand that you know, we're not just individuals meeting in a room. We're, we're part of the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to live life together, get to know each other. Proverbs 27, six, Proverbs 27, six says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes these moral police are only looking for the fault first instead of being a friend. They're looking to correct first rather than connect first. I'm not saying that we, we let sin ha- have, have its way and run amok. No, we have to address the sin. And sometimes you may have to address the sin in someone who did something and you may not have a relationship. But guess what? From that moment on, build a relationship. Build that relationship. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this just to show you that I'm more superior than you or I'm more holier than thou art and you're just a horrible person. I'm doing this because I love you. And it's not right for you to have this sinful behavior in your life. It's not fitting. It's not consistent. It's not good for us. It's going to harm us. So yes, if there's sin in the church, we've got to address it. We've got to turn the light on. And we've got to expose the sin for what it really is. Not make excuses for it. It is sin and we've got to deal with it. I love what he says here. Everything, you know, all things become visible when they are exposed. For everything that becomes visible is light. Again, we have to remember that when we confront a true believer because of their sin, it's for their good that they're going to repent and they're going to, Lord willing, turn back to the Lord. They're going to go back into the light. They're kind of dipping themselves in, you know, their toe in, into darkness for a little bit. But now they're like, you know what? You're right. I don't know what I was doing. Thank you for helping me. Back into the light I go. But also we have to remember that there are individuals in the church who are not really saved. They say they are, but they're not. And their lifestyle says it. We confront the sin. We don't candy coat it. We confront it. And Lord willing, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're convicted. They realize, you know what? I am a sinner and I need a savior. They were living in darkness and now they're like, you know what? I want to start walking in the light. So that's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to turn on the light. And I love this, this last uh, 
portion of verse 14 where Paul appeals to those who are sinning in the church. And, and, and it's, you know, some scholars have debated whether or not this is an old, you know, lyrics from an old Christian hymn. Uh, we don't really know. Uh, the, the content uh, is very similar to two passages in Isaiah, Isaiah 26, 19, and Isaiah 60, verse 1. And so it could be a song kind of interpreting that, those, those two passages, uh, but it's, it's a great uh, closing to this section that Paul brings up. He says, for this reason, it says, awake, sleeper, wake up. And rise, stand up from the dead, or literally arise from out from among those who are dead, and Christ will shine on you. If you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ and you have sin in your life, the, the plea is wake up. That's not who you are anymore. You're in Christ. You're a new creation. You are a child of light. Walk as a child of light. Step, step up. You used to be spiritually dead in your trespasses and sin, but no more. Step out of that. And Christ will shine on you. Christ is going to help you. Christ is going to help you. Like I said, the, the, the struggles of the flesh are really strong, but we have something even stronger. Paul says, uh, I think in his letter, uh, 2 Corinthians, um, he says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So whatever you're struggling with in your life, whatever sins you're struggling with, you can actually defeat it. You will never be enslaved to it. You can, you, it will never have the final word. But I also see this as an amazing uh, uh, plea to those who are in the church who say they're followers of Christ, but they're really not. Paul's saying, wake up. Wake up. Look at your life. It, it's not congruent to a true follower of Jesus. You're still dead in your trespasses and sins. Hear the gospel. Receive salvation. Step out. Arise. Step out from among the dead. Join the living. Be a part of the light. God will shine on you. Be a part of that. I'm reminded of an a, a amazing story that, um, well, at least I, it just really was, uh, was impactful for me when I heard it. Uh, a pastor was on his uh, day off, which is usually Monday sometimes, but uh, he was called by the janitor, the custodian at the, the church, and the custodian said, you need to come to the church right away. He's like, oh no, I better go down there. So he goes down to the church and he's in the main uh, auditorium and right there, the front, front of the stage where the pulpit is, there's a folded clothing, just like a folded shirt, has a little bit of blood and mud and dirt on it and folded corduroy pants and some really dirty shoes and a note attached to it. So well, that's interesting. He reads the note and it's like, you know, sorry, I left this, uh, you know, in your, in your church, uh, but... My life has changed. I'd, li I'd like to talk to you. And, and so the, 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 the pastor contacts this individual and finds out that this individual had for many years been just living in open rebellion, 
you know, he was raised in the church. He grew up. He heard all the, you know, all the things that, uh, you know, the gospel. And But he just decided, no, that, that's just not for me. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm going to live the life I want to live. And he lived it. And he, you know, squandered money. And he stole. And he engaged in a whole lot of sinful behavior. And, and, and uh, it got him into jail. It got him into trouble. And uh, the the that n- night, um, he had just gone to the laundromat and he decided to meet up with some buddies at a bar and he got himself drunk and he got into a fight and that sobered him up. And after the fight, you know, he's just kind of, you know, was in the, on the street, just kind of trying to wipe off the mud and the dirt and the blood. And he's just kind of like, where's my life gone? Like he was just at the end of his rope. He's just like, this is just not right. And he just starts walking you know, the, the, the streets. He's just kind of talking to God, Lord, I don't, you know, my life is just absolute mess. And he comes across the church and uh, apparently uh, the church was left accidentally unlocked after the evening service. And so he just kind of tugs on the door and it's open. So he goes right in and he spends that evening just confessing to the Lord, literally surrendering his life to Christ. It's like, I'm done. I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. And I want you to help me. You know, and, and he remembered back in his old church days, this idea that, you know, when, when you become a believer, you're a new person. He would hear the pastor say that all the time. So he had in his little duffel bag, clean clothes. And he saw, you know, because he was just at the laundromat. So he decided to take off those old clothes, fold them, lay him down, take off the old shoes. He had some clean shoes in the bag as well. Put on those clean shoes. He says, this is who I am now. That's who I used to be. No more. It's like Christ died to take that away. So he put it down there and he was, as he was talking to the pastor, he's like, you know, I came, in, I came to the church in darkness. It was night, literally, physically it was dark. He says, and that's how my life was but I left early in the morning in the light because that's where my life is. And so that's, that's who we are. If you are in Christ, you are new creation, you are light. So let's walk as children of light. Let's not make license for sin. Let's address it. It's not good for sin to be in, in amongst us, but let's do it with a spirit of gentleness. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I want to thank you again for your word this morning. It is a really heavy word. It is a word that is uh, easy to read and yet um, very weighty to put in application. But I pray, Lord, if there's any individuals here who are struggling with immoral behavior, whether it's sexual immorality, drunkenness, whatever it is, Lord, May they recognize that while the temptation to sin is strong, you've given us something stronger. You've given us yourself. You've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us your word, your truth that we can live on. We can, we, it's a foundation. It's, it's a solid rock. So Lord, help us to put away sin, say no to sin and yes to you. We are no longer, Lord, if we're truly followers of Jesus, we are no longer in a darkness. We are light. 
Help us to walk as light. And for those, Lord, in this congregation who may think they have everything squared away with you, but reality, they don't. I pray, Lord, that they would be very honest with, their li- with themselves. I pray that they would be convicted that they are truly, they're really not saved. They've never really submitted their lives to you as Lord and Savior. And I pray, Lord, that right now that they would make that change, that they would awake from their slumber, that they would recognize their, their, their situation, hopeless, hopeless situation, and that they would turn to you, you would forgive them, save them so they could step out from among the dead into the light. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead.